there used to be classic sort of touchstones that people like the nightly news mm-hmm. the big newspaper and everybody read the same stuff and everybody knew what was going on and now everything you know news is so fractured between news sites uh, blog sites ones that are opinionated ones that aren't uh, ones that are fake so and everybody has a different feed and, and gets a different uh, stream of news so nobody has the same kind of touch points anymore uh, to compare I was made for the pandemic because I'm an introvert I work from home I have no hair so I didn't need to worry about haircuts <laughs> it was perfect welcome to the craft beer travel and adventure podcast with living a stout life this is where we sit down with creative thinkers on-the-road adventurers and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Downtown Denver at the Tivoli. Uh, not at the Tivoli, like that is what we're used to thinking of it as because we're used to thinking of it as like a mall-ish or a movie theater, but it's actually Tivoli Brewing Company. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is a really cool historic building. I mean, a lot of it's been replaced over the years you can see like some of the new brick and stuff but it's a really cool building that actually dates back to late 1800s um, and there's so just to set the stage a little bit more too there's some construction that was going on and we're at the outdoor patio it's beautiful um beautiful I still, it's still summer beautiful summer day oh yeah but we wanted to do it on scene outside and so that's why you may hear a little background noise and stuff but that's cool um meeting with jonathan jikes here who's wrote a cool book that we'll be talking about on the podcast and stuff. Called Denver Beer, A History of Mile High Brewing. Andy works at the Westward. Works at Westward, does a lot of cool stuff. He's a great writer. Make sure you check him out at westward.com. Or just Colorado Beer Man. Or Colorado Beer Man on Facebook and Instagram. We'll plug all that later, too. Well, we just plugged it. We'll plug it later, too. Okay, we'll plug it again. Okay. Be ready to be plugged. Okay, but we're going to shut up because we actually have somebody on the conversation with us this time instead of just you and me. Oh, yeah, so, we yeah, do. We'll let Jonathan tell us all about it. And I'll tell, tell you a little story about, about... Denver beer and... About me mixing up names and not knowing how to read. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, right. we will. There you go. All right, here's Jonathan. Cheers. 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 Wait. Oh, see, I said don't bang on the table. The one time you can bang on the table. The traditional tap. I told you not to start with this story because it's embarrassing, but I'm going to start with it anyhow. Um, we have Jonathan Koberman Shikes. <laughs> Koberman. <laughs> and the reason I said that, I swear, because I've totally just read Koberman, mm-hmm. not call C-O-L-O beer. Yep. <laughs> That's right. And That's she hilarious. made me swear not to bring that up <laughs> when we ran into you. She was so embarrassed. it's Jonathan C O L O Beer, Colorado Beer, Colorado Beer Man, right? Yep. Shikes. Yep. So we have so Jonathan Shikes. You can just look up Colorado Beer Man because um, the C O L O is only for the handles that you can't fit all the letters in, right? Yeah, and it's it's funny. I mean, it's, it's that was my our web editor what, back in 2011 or 2012. That was his idea because he didn't want to make it too long. Yeah. So he was like, "Call it. We'll just do Colo Beer Man." And then, you know, and then that the, the name was kind of kind of stuck, so it was kind of funny. Yeah, and in my head, every time I saw it, it was Coverman. Coverman. Because I didn't, I didn't <laughs> read it. <laughs> so, so actually, then, who is Jonathan Shikes? Yeah. Who are you? Uh, Why are we talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> so I am. Uh, I've been uh, the beer writer for Westward uh, newspaper here in Denver for 
12 years um, uh, and I was also the managing editor of Westward for 10 years. I left in 2016 um, but I still freelance all, all the beer stories for them. So I think that's why you're talking to me. That is, and you wrote and a book. You wrote the definitive history on Denver beer. Yep, and I just got it right in my hot little hands right now. Yeah, but wait, before we get to that though, can you tell like um, how how would you define Westward? Because it's not like your typical oh, yeah. newspaper. Yeah, people don't know it like the Rocky Mountain News or Denver Post. In back What's in the, the Rocky day. Mountain News? Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> What's the Denver Post anymore? <laughs> right. That's another story. <laughs> yeah. So Westward was founded in in uh, seventy in nineteen seventy. I should know this five I think 77 maybe as the alt weekly for Denver um, in the village voice kind of model um, alt weeklies were, were taken off in the late 60s and 70s right. and uh, so this was this was Denver's and it was founded by uh, a 20-something uh, Patricia Calhoun who had just moved out here from from Illinois and she's still the editor and still uh, still a firebrand uh, and yeah. uh, so that's what Westport is she's a big community mover out here too yeah <laughs> I suppose speaking of too, like putting a, um, setting the, the place where we are in things, we're actually at Tivoli Brewing Company, yeah. um, which I guess you, could you say on and off, it's been like one of the longest breweries in Denver? Yeah, the, you know, they claim their roots go back to 1859 and the brewery, the first brewery that was, that was founded in Denver was in 1859, right the year after the, um, uh, well, the, right around the gold rush, and it was right basically on this location. It was just over there, um, and that brewery ended up being partially owned by the guy who then owned Tivoli. So, you know, in some ways they do. Their roots go back to 1859. Uh, they closed in 1969, but then reopened in 2012 under under a new. new so owner. the first brewery in Denver. Let everybody know it wasn't Coors. Right. right, yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think they were far behind, right? Uh, um, they were 1870. Uh, I'm so bad with That's okay. We are not going to pin you on the exact I think 1878 In the history of things, that's that's not that far off from the beginning. No, yeah. So, yeah. What was the first one? It was... you got to know that... What, the Here name? in Denver? Yeah. The first um, it was called Rocky just, Mountain Brewery. Oh, okay. Yeah. That fits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it was founded by two Eastern Eastern European uh, immigrants who came out here, you know, uh, as part of the gold rush. It's funny that Coors was back that long ago. I mean, that's before Colorado was even a state, I think, yep. right? Just yep. a couple of years. And then now Colorado, Coors isn't even in the state anymore, if nobody knows that. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention, but... Yeah, their headquarters was, are no longer here. That was kind of rough. I mean, I don't think they caught the heavy blowback that like you know Budweiser did and stuff for the AB InBev thing but even though they joined SAB Miller and stuff but right. uh, it feels like now with them out of the state the, the family the familyness of course is gone <laughs> yeah and the family hasn't talked much about it either uh, yeah. since it happened I don't think they were too happy um, Pete Coors was kind of moved aside and his sons are still with the company I think but um I don't think they've addressed it since since it happened last year. Yeah, that kind of stinks. Yeah, but I mean, I guess empires rise, empires fall. Yeah, it just it happens. Yep, for sure. But I mean, Colorado beer, Coors is synonymous, and I mean, growing up out here, it's like that's yeah. all anybody talked about when you talked about beer. Was yep, you know, even until until like things started changing. 
I mean, that. when did, can you kind of give us a, a scope of, okay, brewing started way back in the late, in the mid to late 1800s in yeah. Colorado. Wait, can Before we it was Colorado. back up again and reintroduce the book? This is why we're oh, asking yeah. him all kinds of history right. questions. It's not a test. Right, because <laughs> he wrote a, his, a book on Denver Literally, beer. the book, Denver Beer, A History of Mile High Brewing, because it's a mile high city for anybody who doesn't know, because we're a mile high. <laughs> but, so yeah, that's why we're talking to Jonathan here on the history of Denver Beer, because he literally wrote the book on it. So. <laughs> yep. But um, going back... I, and this is just a curiosity of mine because I know a little bit from other states and shamefully growing growing up in Colorado I didn't really know our, my own beer history here But <laughs> so were there like lots of breweries back in the day or like around the turn of the century and stuff yeah. in Denver and Colorado like yeah through the, the from the 18, late 1850s through about the turn of the century there were dozens of breweries that um, opened and closed they, they went through multiple name changes and ownership changes uh, but there were there were dozens of, of different ones and some only were open for a couple years some were tiny uh, some were huge Tivoli was one of the big ones uh, Zhang's brewing was a really big one um, and there are some others uh, Neef Brothers and um, they they all closed with a prohibition and the only two in this area to reopen after prohibition were Tivoli and Coors. There were two or three others in the rest of the state, but, but they were the only ones that made it. So, and we're at Tivoli right now, but Tivoli didn't survive all the way through to now, right? Right. There's an interruption in history there? Yeah, I mean, so they were huge and they built themselves back up after prohibition um, to become one of the, one of the biggest breweries uh, west of the Mississippi. Uh, but then they were, they faced a lot of competition, but what really hurt them was a double whammy of uh, a boycott and a strike um, by one of the labor unions in the 60s, and then the 1965 flood, which uh, destroyed a huge part of Denver, um, and including um, the including this building that where we're at. It, it wiped. I mean, they just they had a really hard time recovering from that. It took out all the recipes, all the records. It took out their production. It just it just uh, it was really hard to come back from. So it was a kind of a double whammy situation. So how did you come to the point where all this fascinated you so much? Is this just a, a sidebar of your journalism background, or is it a love of beer, or a little bit of everything? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. My, my dad was an amateur historian. Um, he was a doctor, and uh, but also he, he wrote a book actually about the history of medicine in Colorado. Um, and so I grew up just around history and being interested in history because of that. Uh, I grew up being interested in beer. I started homebrewing when I was 17 because a friend of mine was not old enough to drink 3.2 beer, even though the rest of us were, because uh, you could still drink it when you were, you could drink 3.2 beer when you were 18 back in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so we made beer, and uh, since then, I was very interested in, in microbrewers and, and craft beer. So those two things came together and um, uh, helped me put together the idea for the book. Okay. So then you were born and raised here in? I was, yep. In Denver, actually? Or yep. like Colorado, the whole, okay, Yeah, Denver. Well, One of those rare ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I was, I've been in, I wasn't born in Denver, but I've been in Denver since I was about five years old. But we were born the same year, 1969. Okay. But you were born before July 1st. I was born after July 1st. Okay. So you got grandfathered in on yep. the 3-2 thing, and I did not. 
<laughs> so I didn't even think of brewing my own beer at that time. <laughs> Although I brew, we brew our own beer now occasionally. So, well, that's what my friend. Yeah, he was born in August <laughs> of that year, so he okay. did not get in, and he lived about four blocks from a home brewing store on Sixth Avenue, oh, uh, wow. and about Washington. And he just kept see, he kept seeing the store, and. He's one day he just said, "Come on, we're going to go down here and we're going to get homebrewing supplies and we're just going to make our own beer." The funny thing with that, I don't know. For me, I wanted to be able to get into the bars because I wanted to see the bands that were playing. Because back then there weren't a lot of the bands weren't really playing a lot of gigs at like all ages type clubs and things like that that we have now. But uh, you know, I don't and I don't know if I missed out on a whole much on a whole bunch on the beer side at that point because at that point. I mean, what what was there in Denver for for a craft beer or just microbrew and stuff like that at that point? There wasn't I a mean, lot. The, yeah, the, the late 80s. Band in the late 80s. Yeah. Yeah, the Wincoop opened in 88, and uh, it was followed by a couple others in um, uh, 19 in 1990, Rock Bottom and Champion Brewing and. 1991. So there was a couple of them there, but I I could care I could have cared less about that. <laughs> then I, I just drank um, I drank over here at Thirsties, which was the oh, oh Thirsties. Wow. That's the best place I can tell you about Thirsties. Yeah, <laughs> and we just drank pitchers. We would you know we would yeah. all order a pitcher of Coors Light um, or Coors Extra Gold, which was the big thing oh, then. Yeah, and, wow. um, and that's all that's all I cared. That was about. drink as much beer as you could at Thirsties. Yep. It's yep. appropriately named place. Too. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so speaking of Coors, and we've got you here, I'm going to put you on the spot. Blue Moon. Yep. Craft beer, not craft beer. It's a it's a convoluted story, and I hear like different people explain it different ways all the time. Like, it started at Coors, it didn't start at Coors. It... I, I mean, Blue Moon was a, was a Coors project, um, and uh, they wanted to come up with another, you know, another kind of uh, flavor. Um, because some of their other flavors had done well. And by flavors, you know, for them, flavors were very close to each other, you know. Right. I mean, Extra Gold is not that much different than Coors Light uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but they had, what is it, Killian's? I think they had Killian's Red, and they, they wanted to have something else. And at the same time, they were getting ready to, um, Coors Field was getting ready to open up, and they wanted to have, a, like, a signature beer there, too. So those two things came together, and they had um, uh, Keith Villa and uh, a bunch of other people at Coors who came up with Blue Moon. So it was definitely a, a Coors project. Um, whether it's craft beer depends on, you know, what segment, what, what industry <laughs> segment you come from. If, if you come from the craft beer, the Brewers Association, then, you know, obviously they're, they're not. Right. Um, they're just a division of Coors. If you look at it from a bigger perspective, the craft segment that liquor stores look at and, the, and that um, the beer wholesalers look at, then... Blue Moon is part of the craft segment because it's higher priced and it it tastes different than than light lagers. Uh, well, and now there's actually a Blue Moon brewery in Denver, the, the brew pub, yep. where they actually brew quite a few different varieties. They'll have yeah. 25, 30 beers on tap that are all different beers they've made on site there that you'll never you know the vast majority you'll never see in a bottle or a can across the country or anything right. or even locally so in all the research in your books and finding the history of behind denver beer like what was one of the most interesting facts that surprised you or that was just really intriguing um you know one of the one of the most interesting things was how much the brewery the breweries in the late 1800s 
would talk about local ingredients and the economy, uh, um, local employees, and keeping money local because they were competing with um, beers that were coming in from St. Louis and, and other places. So they would take out advertisements and talk about how, you know, you if you bought a local beer, you were helping to support local farmers, people oh, wow. who lived in the city, and that's the exact same thing that craft brewers and craft breweries do today. So yeah, they're really hammering. Yeah, so that was that was really interesting. I mean, the exact same arguments, um, and uh, so that was fascinating. There was also a big consolidation uh, um, in near the turn of the century and afterwards, before prohibition. Big uh, brewing companies from um, actually from overseas came over here and just started rolling up um, breweries in different towns yeah. and bu- yeah, buying them out um, and all that ended with prohibition but that was kind of interesting to read about too that consolidation sounds a little similar to some of the things going right. on today yep. where yeah. we see some of our craft favorite craft breweries get yep. snatched up yep. we actually didn't know each other for the longest time here in Denver but we met each other in person for the first time in Montana at a yep. craft brewers conference basically a journalism conference but one thing I found out when we were up in Montana was talking to a historian up there he talked about especially um, in the Butte Montana area how there were in the early I think it was the early 1900s late 1800s early 1900s there were 30 40 breweries around that area just around Butte but a lot of that came from all the workers that came from other countries to work the mines there and the railroad and everything. And so they all wanted to bring that flavor of their beer they were used to from wherever they came their from. Their own culture. Their so own there were all these places. small breweries that were basically just neighbor, like a neighborhood bar almost. Yeah. Would you say that some of that happened here? Because Colorado is a very big populace for gold mi- or mining in general and things like that back in that era. Yeah, almost all of those breweries were founded by German, Austrian, uh, Polish immigrants um, who came over here. Uh, Lager East wasn't here before the 18, uh, late 40s or early 1850s. Um, what I read was that it didn't, it couldn't make the voyage. It would die before it. Oh it, yeah, it, it couldn't got keep here. it cold. Right, right no because refrigeration. The, well, and the and the ships took it took so long. But when they got faster ships, I guess there was a revolution uh-huh. in. in okay. um, and the speed of, of how fast you know ships could get here in the 1850s and that meant that the lager they could get the lager east here and so at the same time there was all this turmoil in eastern eastern europe uh you know which then was what prussia and austria hungary and you know the different uh, all the countries were different but um so there was a huge influx of, of eastern european immigrants right around the same time uh to the u.s and so you know, they brought all their lager yeast with them. They all came over here, and they, you know, they followed. They followed them um, wherever. The, you know, there was the gold rush in California. There was the gold rush here. The West was opening up, and they just expanded west and, and brought their their skills with them. So the majority of the breweries, yeah, were were founded by Eastern European immigrants. Wow, makes sense. That's pretty cool. So, what would you say today? How would you describe Denver's brew scene today now? Because it's changed vastly even since the late 80s when we were talking about the change from 3-2 the 3-2 laws where you had to be 21 to drink 3-2 beer which I don't know if anybody makes a 3-2 beer now unless they're making a a table beer or something yeah there's a few of those table beers but yeah the 3-2 went away um, for the most part yeah Denver's you know is is one of the best destinations I think for for craft breweries in in the country Um, 
if not the best one. Which is funny because Denver was actually a terrible craft brewery destination uh, ten years ago. There were no, I mean, there was there was only a few breweries in town. Um, the biggest and most well-known Colorado breweries were not in Denver, except for maybe Great Divide um, and maybe Breckenridge. But uh, you know, New Belgium was you know not from here, and, and Left Hand and, and um, Odell and just the the big brewing scene was in Fort Collins and, and in Boulder. So Denver was just a Coors town. You couldn't get craft beer at most of the bars. There was Old Chicago you could get craft beer at. There's a few other places. Um, uh, my brother's bar had a, had a good oh, list yeah. uh, back in the day. But Denver was terrible. And um, uh, just in the last 10 years, you know, in addition to going from eight breweries within the city limits to over 70, um, the, the bar scene completely changed so that there are multiple places you can go that have 20, 30, 50, 60, you know, local beers on tap, uh, which is which was a huge, you know, which was a massive evolution. So, uh, you know, today it's ama- it's amazing the different different kinds of styles that you can find here, the different kind of breweries, that kind of thing. So, outside of Denver, have you had a chance to travel around maybe like the country more, or the world, or any other different traveling spots that you've liked? Or? I yeah, I have had a chance. Um, to travel uh, a little bit in, over the last uh, five, five, six years or so, um, and I always, I'm always looking for beer. You know, when I when I go oh, to yeah. places, I don't have to, but I. Uh, Everybody knows we are too. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Destination. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's been fun. I've got a chance to go to Bruges in Belgium and drink, you know, West Lateran, you know, Quad and uh, Westy Twelve, I think it is. And I've been to the um, the Real Ale Festival. Um, in, uh, in, in England, um, in Cambridge, um, you know, I've had a chance to drink, to go to Vietnam and drink uh, Bia Hoi, I think it's called. It's fresh beer. It doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. It's just made at breweries that don't really have names either. And it's just, it's just really light, really cold beer that's made like the day before or the day before that. Oh, and, all, really? and they they bring it into all the like bars in town and they get kegs of it and you can sit in these little be ahoy places and just drink like you know for a quarter one cup after oh another of these beers. <laughs> that's dangerous <laughs> yeah. that's dangerous yeah. no matter how light the abv might be <laughs> yeah <laughs> so is that vastly different than like the light lagers we see you know like across the world that's what everybody drinks for the most part is a yeah. light lager like right. a similar to a Budweiser or a Coors Light or something. Yeah. But is this a different beer than that or is it basically the same beer just fresh or I think it's the same beer it just doesn't ever it just doesn't get packaged it just gets kegged up and it's gone within a few days. Is it vastly different or better or it's just cold and light. I would say it's better because But I would say it's better because you're traveling and you're in a different culture and like you're experiencing different things. That's true. That immediately makes something better. A large part (laughs) of that doesn't get talked about when you're talking about the taste of a beer or whatever the best beer you've ever had i mean really how much of it is influenced by the moment a lot because there's a lot of great beer out there so it's really hard when somebody says what's your favorite beer what's the best beer you've ever had what's your favorite beer what's your favorite i don't know Uh, it's like (laughs) it kind of depends on the moment and what you're experiencing it because i could see being in vietnam and it's like super hot but you're in this 
you know, very different uh, society from ours in America. What and then drink you're drinking that one in Singapore after we like jungle bites on like a 99 oh, tiger. degree day and that <laughs> tiger beer, beer. Yep. sitting on the island. And it was damn good that day. Yeah, it was very good. Because <laughs> it was ice cold and it was super hot. Yep. And, and we looked like we had just stepped out of the ocean even though we had just been riding bikes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean when you're I, when I when we were in Montana, I, I got oh, yeah. I got a chance to go fly fishing with um, with Andy Sparhawk from the Brewers Association. Oh yeah, and uh, we had um, uh, was it Jedediah Johnson or Jeremiah Johnson? Oh Jeremiah, Jeremiah Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know I mean they just tasted amazing out on the river. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> so you know I mean, but yeah, I could see where just being out on the river, it's like you know you like. Yeah, I could see like getting a carabiner and just hook it into the six pack ring and just float it in the water and keep it cold. <laughs> yep. Not climbing. Right. Yeah, but you know you got to find a way to not let that beer float away. So. <laughs> okay, so you use the fish stringer. Yeah. And you yeah. hook it that that into the six pack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, use your tools that are available. All right, all right. I'm not a fisherman. What can I say? <laughs> okay, but. so getting back a little bit on chalk then too. Can um, how did you get into journalism? with beer or even just journalism period because you were editing correct at Westward yeah I um, I just I sort of fell in love with it in college and then I went to grad school for journalism and got a master's degree and then um, uh, just I worked at a variety of daily you know and weekly papers for the next uh, two decades so um, that was that was how I got into it I, I worked in Georgia and Wyoming and uh, California um, and uh, I worked at Westward in the in the '90s, actually, also briefly uh, for three years, um, and then moved to California and came back. And, um, when I came back uh, and and got a job again at Westward in 2007, um, no one was really writing about beer, and uh, since I had it started was you know drinking craft beer was a hobby and something I loved doing, I uh, decided I would start writing about it. There was enough going on with different beers coming out and different things that were going on and Westward was trying to get online and do blogs and um, so we were we were trying to have more content than just what a weekly paper normally had um, and put the things online so I just started writing about it then and that was the same time that it just started taking off in, in Denver so. yeah. yeah yeah you, you were in the right place at the right time was. yeah you yep. jumped in when you still had to seek it a little bit yeah now, now you don't really it's in your face yeah especially if you're in Denver or or somewhere at Portland, either Portland or Asheville or anything like that. Yep. It's kind of in your face all the time anymore. But yeah. Um, What's the biggest changes you've seen from journalism? Because you've been yeah. so. I mean, you've been in journalism. You just mentioned it right there. One going right. online had so to you, been a massive yeah. change. Because you've been in journalism for a long time, yeah. and I've done some journalism with journalism and photography and things like that, and it's just changed drastically. Is besides like going online because that's kind of an obvious huge change. Was there something else that you've noticed? Just. I mean, everything's everything. changed. It's. I mean, there's a lot less of it. Uh, Real journalism, yeah. There's, yeah. You know, newspapers have closed, um, and news outlets have closed. Uh, so there's just there's just so much less journalism going on in, in every city, um, and there has been a big rise in um, you know websites that don't that don't necessarily use journalism. They write and they have stories, but uh, they don't. They don't have all the the background and ethics and and 
getting both sides of the story and and just the, the way you go about you know approaching things um they don't have people who are trained you know trained in in, in journalism so uh, that can throw things off and then there's no there are no there used to be classic sort of touchstones that people like the nightly news the big newspaper and everybody read the same stuff and everybody knew what was going on and now everything you know news is so fractured between news sites uh, blog sites ones that are opinionated ones that aren't uh, ones that are fake so and everybody has a different feed and, and gets a different uh, stream of news so nobody has the same kind of touch points anymore uh, to compare do you find that ironically as I mean like you want people to have different perspectives on things and to do the research on it but ironically now it's like too spread out and you don't it seems a lot like people don't pay attention to that kind of what they're reading so what they read might be an opinion piece and they take it as a factual Fact. piece yeah because they're not taking the time to delve deeper into it yeah so it's it's tough I mean it's been tough watching it happen but I I sort of had to get over it and and just uh, you know move on and and it's not fun being in journalism I admire the people who work for newspapers still and are still trying to hold up the, those standards um, I it, it got uh, too sort of depressing for me so yeah. uh, I did not want to be I just didn't want to be in it anymore well it's tough because it feels like and you you kind of have to sell your soul now to be a journalist because um, it's hard to just do straight journalism because now it's the how do you make money as a journal how does a media outlet make money and they make right. it by being entertaining yeah by being clicky by being you know by drawing eyeballs and straight journalism doesn't always do that for you right you know people and we come from an era where as we grew up it was we were going through that shift from the value of here are the facts and the real journalism and then now it's people are looking for what entertains me even if yeah. it's politics people want to be entertained by politics now yeah. even if they don't realize it that's what they're doing you know? yeah. so as a freelance journalism journalist now with like beer in westford do you have other gigs out there or do you are you is this kind of one of your main ones are you able to make money off of it no i do not make money i mean i, I make you know a little bit of money off writing beer stories but but not much so I support myself with other kinds of gigs um, writing and editing but not journalism related um, so I do editing for a financial institution um, I've edited and written copy for websites for professional websites things like that so I've you're crushing my dreams <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's, that's how we make the money too you think we make money off a podcast um, no yeah <laughs> So that being said, how long have I assume that probably most of the work you're doing now is you could do it from anywhere. You're basically mobile, right? Mm -hmm. How long have you been doing that? Working mobily, not having to go in and be at an office all the time or at least part of the time you're not at the office. So since 2016, uh, uh, when I left Westward full, you know, full time, I have worked on a variety I worked mainly out of my house, but I worked in a co-working space for a while. Um, I've, you know, I've done coffee shop thing a little bit, uh, but yeah. I, so for four years, I've I've just been. I have two different computers and um, for different things. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of one step ahead of pandemic. The pandemic thing. I was. I was, <laughs> I was like, yep. I was made for the pandemic <laughs> yep. because I'm an introvert. I work from home. 
I have no hair, so I didn't need to worry about haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. It is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Do you struggle then with kind of this whole, you know, spiel of like everybody's calling this work-life balance thing? Because now it's all for a lot of people, even after all this crap, it's a huge issue now because everything is so convoluted and together. Do you struggle with that? Is it like does it feed your soul or does it like? Ugh. For me, I don't. Um, I don't work as much as I probably should. So I don't, uh, I don't have necessarily problems with that. Um, I probably should have more gigs and find, find more things. Uh, but I've been able to, I don't, you know, from a time standpoint, um, I, w I will work at all hours. Uh, I will take, if somebody wants to, I, I didn't used to when I worked in the office, like I was done. Mm -hmm. I did not get my cell number out when I yeah. left the office at 5.30 or 6 or 7 or whatever it was. That was it. Um, now I, you know, I will make phone calls in the evening. I will make them in the morning if someone is around. I have done interviews on the weekend. I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't care. It's all the same um, now. And, uh, you know, sometimes that makes things easier. But I forget sometimes, too, that maybe other people want to leave their jobs behind. <laughs> yeah. And they don't want to get a Facebook message from me on a Saturday asking about, you know, a beer They want to enjoy their kid's birthday party. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that may have changed in the last six months, but... Um, uh, you know, a lot of the people, though, who run small businesses, man, they're on 24, yep. 24-7. And we're right. all connected all the time. Yeah, so. yeah, that's another thing. But those, Got our phone in our pockets. Those folks, you know, the alarm goes off on a, you know, on a Sunday morning at 2 a.m. They don't, at their business, they, they got to go down and see what the deal is, you know. So right. those folks are, those folks are already are doing that. But um, I haven't, I haven't had that, that struggle as maybe, as much as uh, other people who maybe work a little well, harder than I do. And the whole word balance is kind of off too because you're really not trying to balance the scale exactly where you have yeah, this perfect no amount 50, of fun 50. and this perfect <laughs> amount of family and this perfect amount of work it's yeah. just how your brain can handle it I mean it's so subjective do you ever struggle with um, like I know a lot of what we do is going to breweries and stuff but do you ever struggle with going to a brewery and just hanging out and having a good time versus Shit, there's. I gotta talk about that. I I gotta get the facts on. I gotta find out about that because you see something happening. Or does that ever kick into your psyche? Or are you pretty good at saying, no, this is me time and this is work time? Well, the the the, the this is gonna sound really dumb, but one of the hardest things is I usually know a, a bartender and or an owner and or a brewer or someone in in the brewery where I go. Yeah, and so a lot of times I will say, you know, I'll recognize someone and say hi to them, or they will recognize me and come over, and give like then they they try and buy me a beer, or they you know, oh, yeah. and it I'm like you don't need dumb. to. I, I mean, it, it sounds like a stupid complaint, but I like I don't you know I I'm there to drink their beer. They don't need to buy you know they don't yeah. they don't need to buy me beer. I'm not reviewing the brewery. Um, I love saying hi to them because yeah. you know I love I love chatting you know with folks, but they don't need to like put on. You know, they don't need to get their yeah. boots if they if they weren't wearing their closed-toed boots right. or whatever. You know, in front of me, I don't care. And and um, so, uh, but yeah, I don't go to a lot of breweries and just sit and enjoy myself a lot because anymore I used to. Um, just because you know everybody. Well, I, I know a lot of people, and then I've tried a lot of beers, and then I, I just uh, uh, I, I don't know. I drink at home a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, then, what beer city would you love to go to that you haven't been to yet? Oh, yeah. Wow. Where nobody knows your name. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think probably the same cities that, that are on a lot of people's list. I've never been to uh, Asheville. I've never been okay. to, to Maine. 
anywhere in Maine. I've never been anywhere in, in New England, to, uh, to be honest, which yeah. is kind of a glaring hole in my list of states. Um, so, you know, getting up to getting up to New England, getting to Portland, Maine, um, uh, getting to North Carolina would be would be lovely. Um, well, we can tell you from experience, they're lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even really super deep dive no. into either place. I mean, no. we spent a fun whirlwind in, in the east end of Portland, Maine. Yeah. And, like, you can just walk, and every five minutes you're at a brewery or yeah. something. And there's some really cool, funky it, things going on. And it's on. the same thing that we did. It was a fun whirlwind in Asheville. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty quick trip, too. Um, but, but the same thing. You can just... Yeah walk down the street turn the corner and there's another brewery there's another brewery there's another brewery it's you know very similar to denver and like where anywhere you go there's a a good brewery to stop into and check out yeah so that's yeah i would love to get to those places um austin i'd like to i've been to austin but not in 20 years so i'd like to go back and check out there before it was a beer town yeah before it was a beer town so yeah those are some those are some places that are definitely uh, on the list so many great places in this entire like world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this world needs to open back up again. <laughs> I know. I I would lo- I would love to be out there traveling again. Yeah, Hopefully it isn't too much longer. I mean, we're all, we're all given 2020 a mulligan, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're gonna just this year didn't happen. Every once in a while, I'll play this game. Are you ready? I'm putting you on the spot. Uh-oh. Okay. It's kind uh-oh. of a this, lightning round. I didn't know this was coming, so <laughs> I just this like, is new like, for me too. Do it. <laughs> all right, Denver. Favorite unique brewery. Uh, However you define unique, it's up to you. Favorite unique brewery, uh, gosh, you know, Black Project does some, does, from the beginning, has just done things that were um, really unusual. Uh, they're, you know, they're open ferment, you know, the yeah, spontaneous fermentation. Spontaneous fermentation yeah. is really cool, yeah. And this does not mean you don't like any of the other breweries, just because you mentioned one or another. Right, yeah, no, they're no. just very unusual. Yeah. Um, favorite brewery with, like, the ambiance, just something that just... Ah, as soon as you walk in. Um, gosh, you know, Joyride is, has a great ambiance. I love their, their I love patio. That, I love that patio. Favorite Rhino Brewery, River North. Oh. If you don't know. Oh boy. Oh, and that's really. I don't like saying favorite. Um, most interesting. You know, I I end up at um, our mutual friend almost yes. every time I am in. Uh, Rhino. I mean, I, ch- I check out. I mean, I love Beerstadt. I got married at Beerstadt. Oh wow, um, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's a cool little known fact. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you know, I mean, I love I love all oh. the breweries there. But I end up at Mutual Friend almost every time. I'm there for one reason or another. Uh, one of your most influential people that got you into beer or journalism. Oh wow, mm. um, one of I said. They're not known or. Yeah, I mean, my, okay. my friend who got me in homebrewing. That's cool. Yeah, that, yeah, that's I even, I mean, sometimes He's in the book, cool. though, right? Yeah, yeah. Patrick? So I talk about him in the, in the <laughs> Your intro. friend Patrick? Okay. Yeah. yeah See, so. I checked out the book. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it goes to show that sometimes it's it's not this big person that's going to maybe change your life or create something that you really oh, love. No, it's yeah. some, someone that you just have a connection with every day. Yeah. Um, What's I, your I loved Walter Cronkite when I was really? a little oh, kid. Yeah. I used to, like, I demanded, I wanted to be Walter Cronkite when I was, like, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because I watched Newsroom yeah. on HBO, which is a great show about news if, for anybody who's a geek. Yeah. Um, but that led me down the rabbit hole of other movies and like documentaries about those guys like Edgar R. Murrow and, yeah. and Walter Cronkite and stuff. Yeah. And favorite like cheers like brewery, like your neighborhood bar your brewery where everybody knows your name. 
Um, I mean, what are some of your favorites? Maybe I mean, for me personally, it was it's cerebral because I live right by them. Okay. Um, and so, and I knew brewery. the owner of Cerebral before he, uh, when he was just a, hanging out homebrewing and, and oh, taking cool. beer pictures and, and blogging. Um, so I, you know, I, I just was friendly with him. So I got to watch him go through, you know, the whole process. And then, um, uh, and then for a while, I knew all the different um, folks who worked there and everything else too. So, yeah. I think. I think that influence all of our favorites a lot is just when you get to know people and you connect for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, our it big thing is say hi to a stranger. So yeah. wherever you go, you start talking to people, and that has a huge influence on when, when someone asks yeah, us that question of favorite brewery. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, yeah, it's it a has a huge <laughs> impact on yeah. the events that happen and the people that we met. Is yeah. usually how we answer that question. So we usually ask a question called like defining your stout life, but I think I want to kind of change that a little bit and say like. For this part, it's like, what, what's a lesson you've learned from beer that you can apply to life? Oh, wow. I do know that beer makes it easier to talk to people when, I tra- when I've traveled places, um, and not because you're drinking a beer and you're buzzed, but because you can ask people, you know, you can just, you know, start talking with the bartender. Um, I mean, I've had some lovely nights where I was on my own just because I started talking about beer with the bartender or someone else who was sitting next to me or whatever and you start you know and you just strike up a conversation um and it's a it just is a nice it's a it's a good way to meet people because people who like beer and know about beer love to talk about beer so it's 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 kind of an easy way and a fun way to um uh just to be able to to you know to get by and to to meet people and to learn about other people in other countries or in other states so I'm not sure if that's a lesson, but that's. I think that's a complete lesson. Yeah. All right. Where can people find your book? <laughs> yeah. Um, right now it's in a lot of weird places. You know, it came out on March second, so right before everything shut down, right before, and I had had um, book signings. I had numerous book signings lined up, and and events at breweries and at Barnes and Nobles and bookstores and other places, library. Um, so and the the folks who distribute the book also kind of got shut down then too. Yeah. So. It kind of got half, you know, um, distributed, and, and the other half didn't. So, uh, right now, you know, it's on. Uh, it's on. You can buy it online from local bookstores like Tattercutter and, and Book Bar. I think the Tivoli. I think they have some here at the at, at the Tivoli in their bookstore. Um, it's. I've people have sent me. It's at various Sam's Clubs. It's at Ace Hardware. Oh, it's cool. at Safeway. Oh my gosh! Um, you know, so it's it's in a few random places. Um, and cool. then I sell them directly too. Um, I ship them and sign them and, and sell them directly if people contact me on social media. Okay. And where so. do they find you on social media? Call Cobra Coberman. <laughs> Coberman Shikes. Say it right. <laughs> Coberman Shikes. Yeah. Now, if you go on Facebook, it's Colorado Beer Man. Right? Yeah. Yep. He has. Colorado Beer Man page on Facebook and if you go to I mean it's the same thing on Instagram but your handle is actually at C-O-L-O Beer Man yeah if you search for you know Colorado Beer Man or Colorado Beer Man just in Google I think the Twitter Instagram and Facebook will or you can hit us up and we'll we'll hook you up with him yeah <laughs> we'll put you in touch yeah mm. where's the best place to get it if you want to make the most money from me okay <laughs> that's where you go yeah. <laughs> directly to the source yeah yeah um well, we have to. What were we drinking? We have some. Juice. I had the Hellas. You had the what? Hellas. The Hellas, and I had the juicy IPA. I can't remember the name of it though. Um, squeeze. Squeeze. Thank you. Squeeze. Oh, squeeze. <laughs> yeah. 
And you had before the uh, I had the, the Siggy's Bach, Bach yeah. That's just that's my favorite. And then now I have guys. the um, red, which is actually quite good. Cool. And you drink it again. Jet IPA. The Jet IPA. Pretty much a straightforward West Coast IPA. Because yeah. we got to tell people a little what bit to drink. of juice to it. Right. What are we cheersing to? Uh, maybe each of our own next adventures. There you I like go. that. Cheers to our next adventures. Cheers to, cheers adventures. to good, friends. Yeah, yeah. good friends. And cheers <laughs> to getting over this 2020. <laughs> you don't want to wish time away ever. True that. Cheers to that. <laughs> no, that was a great. That was we a fun just, podcast for me because I'm like a super beer geek, you know. So I, well, I could. I could have went way down the rabbit hole on the podcast well, and just talked beer, 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 beer. Even about a half an hour beer. after that, you guys did just talk beer, 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 beer. Yeah. So it was good. And you all didn't have to listen to A lot of things that we didn't touch on that I would have went, I'm geeking out. Because Jonathan knows so much about, he knows more about beer in Denver than I could forget. So. <laughs> if you have more interest in that, let us know. And, and Colorado. We'll do it again. Or we'll yeah, get we totally more could. geeked out about beer. We totally could. Because, I mean... We just touched on, like, the book that he wrote and stuff. We we really didn't go into the book that much. Some of what he talked about is in the book, but... That's because you're supposed to buy it so you can read yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great... Yeah, I've only started reading, but it's a really good book so far. And, like, for me, I'm the beer geek, and I just love that stuff. I don't know. And, you know, for as much as we might, if you've heard us, I don't know, complain about Denver a little bit, like, Denver is home to us, and it's a huge city, but it's a oh, cool... Yeah city and even in his book he mentions that Denver like years ago used to be kind of a flyover city but it is a destination place now yeah I mean when we complain it's not because we don't love Denver we love Denver I like the traffic yeah it's just getting highly congested and overpriced like most metropolitan cities you know it's it's a great city though and totally become very busy because it's a really cool place. There's a lot of great outdoor stuff. There's a lot of great breweries. There's culture. And, there's everything. Yeah. And Tivoli Brewing, we haven't been here before. And this was really cool. It was cool to come to the brewery for the first time with somebody who knows. It's funny that this is our first time at the brewery. And this is, like we talked about a little bit in the podcast, that off and on, this is one of the oldest breweries in the state. It is. Oh, and what's also interesting, though, is it's also located on uh, Metro, on, on the Rarick campus. Which yeah, it's is a home college to, campus. The college campus, which is home to Metro State University. University of Colorado, Denver. And then Auraria. And the Auraria, uh, Denver Community College. Okay, so that too. Auraria is yes. the name of the campus. So it's a cool space. a big space. It's cool. I mean, it's cool that there's a brewery on a college campus that's, you know, and especially mm-hmm. that's so historic as this one. Yeah. So that's where we're at. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation with Jonathan because I think it's really cool that we got to talk a lot of beer stuff and get my geekiness out there. I was trying to find a classy, smooth ending, but Kenny keeps it going. I can't do that. So you can end it now because I tried. I'm not, well, I'll just keep talking because, you know, we could just keep talking about beer. Okay, my hand is going over his face, so cheers, subscribe, donate now. <laughs> Till next time. Bye. Next time. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.